Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Each week, Jess Gedeke chats with world-class brand professionals to bring you the story behind the story of some of the most breakthrough innovations, marketing tactics, and campaigns. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the Dig In podcast. Today, I am so happy to have a new friend of Dig Insights join us, the very talented Betsy Chung, who's a veteran global CMO, and we have a lot to learn from her today. So, Betsy, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Jess. It's good to be here. Yeah, let's start with an intro. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. Um, So thanks, Jess. I am Betsy Chung, and I'm a digital transformation leader with quite diverse experience. So possibly one of the few global CMOs that started her career as a CFO and a P&L leader. And so I've had the pleasure to work with such great high growth companies and most recently, for the past six years, the EVP and Global CMO for TD Bank, uh, previously with BMO and uh, with American Express. It's oh, a great background, and we're going to hear a lot of lessons from that uh, amazing tenure. But just a quick question, impromptu question to get us going. It's a Monday when we're recording this episode, and I'd love to hear what's one word you'd use to describe your week so far? Oh, oh, it's only Monday, though. Yes. <laughs> um, inspiring. <laughs> It's been very inspiring so far. Good. That's that's a wonderful way to start. So let's dig in. I'd love for you to, to tell us a story. Uh, our listeners really do crave inspiration from other leaders, and we think one of the best ways to inspire is to tell a story. And you've been part of multiple organizations where customer experience was really core to the company's success and certainly core to the marketing strategy. You know, American Express, BMO, TD Bank, all celebrated brands in terms of delivering a great customer experience. So talk a little bit about how a company can be intentional about customer experience. You know, I would think that any services organization probably knows that customer experience is important, but how do you make it a core focus and really a part of the ethos of an organization? It's a great question. So I, I, I always begin with vision and right through to operations. So it really does start from the vision. So at American Express, which is a renowned customer experience leader, the vision was always to be the world's most respected service brand. And that is when I had worked there and and to walk in the halls and to see that as you walk through the lobby um, as a vision for the entire organization was really instrumental to the operations and the day-to-day of that organization. You know, the other organizations I've worked with, um, you know, there could be a goal of winning JD Power, for instance, which is which is another aspiration. Um, the third company was really around regaining customer experience leadership, and that was another aspiration. So depending upon where I've been, it's always been a core vision for the organization to have customer experience at the core of what we did. And then of course it translates into normal operating rhythms. So your everyday being was to strive to be, for instance, at MX, the most respected service brand. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really um, the, a banking brand and, and that wasn't the aspiration. So it was it was nice that the aperture was wider than that. And to be in the pursuit of service was um, something that really expanded our horizons in terms of working um, with with a brand like that. 
Yeah, it's so core. And for that to be the North Star for an organization, I think is really testament to, um, you know, keeping the customer at the heart of things. So did you use any new frameworks or tools when you think about understanding and optimizing against what are those drivers of the customer experience? Did you approach it in a novel way at any of those businesses? Yeah, um, there there were a few, I would say, tools that were used. And it all ranges from the voice of the customer and really understanding that voice on a not only a daily basis, but nowadays with technology, you can really understand it in real time, yeah. right through to even personalization. So personalizing that experience through omni-channel to every customer. And so in, as it relates to voice of the customer, a lot of times, depending upon the organization, um, there were some measurement frameworks. And as uh, digital and mobile grew in terms of usage, um, that real-time, in-the-moment customer feedback, we were able to really analyze that. And um, so, so that's really around omni-channel listening, um, right through to personalization. So um, in a number of the organizations I've worked in, we use personalization tools. And um, in that piece, you can really understand out of the content that goes out to the customer, how can I create thousands of permutations of content so that for me, it's something different than, for instance, for you, that appears. Um, and so that was, you know, the range of personalization and, and call listening type and, and uh, listening uh, to the customer type of tools. There was also employee listing or colleague listing, which was really, really important. And I think that that's really fundamental to the ethos of the company. Um, even down to, you know, I still remember at Amex, um, our CEO at the time when he did market visits, he mm -hmm. would start with a customer story and then would always sit with a call center to do to do call listening. And so that was really important because um, you gain through the side-by-side -side the employee listening part of it as well. Mm -hmm. And so there were a number of tools that really spanned both pillars. Mm -hmm. So important for leaders to take that sort of hands-on approach, right? I think that that's uh, so important, especially as you're trying to develop personalization at scale. Uh, I think the closer your C-suite is to the customer, the better, right? Um, but it's not easy to do. I'm sure there's some setbacks um, in executing against your customer experience strategy. What were some of the most memorable sort of bumps in the road and how did you overcome them when it comes to setting you know, the customer experience at the forefront? Yeah, um, there were always, there's always, it's never a smooth path. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. I still remember how, um, for instance, in each of these organizations, um, it was really important to make sure that the customer irritants were addressed on a timely basis. Mm -hmm. And those that affect millions or thousands of customers uh, in terms of scale and severity were the ones that you really need to get at. A lot of times it affects multiple parts of the organization. So many parts of the organization need to be together at the same time to resolve it. And the speed of resolution is always, always one of those bumps in the road. But, um, you know, the way that I, I believe that you, you really need to address it is through a multidisciplinary approach where um, people get together and you're able to knock off a customer irritant quickly. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so, so that the best approach I've seen is, is, is one where it's a team approach and it's a team sport. And so um, those are sort of the bumps in the road, but how we've been able to resolve them. Yeah. And those irritants is the term you've used. Uh, I think that's a really clever uh, phrase for it, but those are those moments of friction, right? Throughout the process where you're either going to gain customer loyalty or you're going to lose a customer and, and sort of delivering in those moments that matter is something we, we really believe in at Dig Insights. We do a lot of qualitative and quantitative research to uncover those irritants as well as the delighters and help brands figure out a strategy for how to deliver and to end that that experience is so important to to identify those areas of friction and to remove them. Um, And how does a company know that they're delivering a great customer experience? What are some of the milestones that you have as a business or maybe some of the performance metrics outside of just straight customer satisfaction? How else do you know uh, that you're delivering? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And it, I, I always believe it needs to be a really balanced scorecard um, across the board. And not only from a customer experience perspective, but also the employee experience, having scorecard for that. Right. Because it's through great employee experience that you can inevitably deliver a great customer experience. And yeah. so some of the factors that, um, depending upon the organization that we really monitored, were um, and it really depending on the channel. So um, overall, there was, you know, whether you are on a net promoter score type of metric or you are on uh, more of a legendary experience metric, depending upon the organization. Um, it was one where you can really gain the voice of the customer and it's usually scored. And so on a net, net promoter score, it was an 11 point scale. Um, and then on other sort of more proprietary measures, it would be on a 10 point scale, for instance. Um, that was only one item, but to really get to, um, in the moment. So I always say there's, there's in the moment feedback or, um, uh, touch point type of feedback. And then there's your relationship with the organization. And so that is relationship feedback and the touch point feedback are related, but oftentimes in terms of the relationship feedback we gain, that is sometimes lower in score to the touch point. So, you know, the touch a touch point could be when you withdraw money or if you deposit money into your bank. That those are touch points. Mm-hmm. But how you feel about your the organization that you bank with, that's the relationship. And um, whether they're looking out for your best interests, that's a relationship piece. And sometimes, sometimes that is a lower um, sort of results than how uh, how that organization did at that particular point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that the relationship between those two metrics and where there are gaps. I imagine that's a you know a, a gap you have to shore up as a brand. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting because. Um, you know, having monitored this through so many different organizations, um, you know, sometimes premium solutions can drive, um, you think that having a, a higher price might drive lower customer loyalty. But what I found in the various organizations I've worked at is sometimes having a premium solution, but with a proper customer value proposition behind it, will drive higher customer loyalty than the free solution or the 
um, no fee solution. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes we found our premium solutions driving higher retention and higher customer experience results than um, the more the, the one that's free or the one that's no fee. Sure. Well, I think it's because the consumer's expectation is going to be higher when it is a premiumization offering, right? And so when you can deliver on those higher expectations, there's more at stake for that that customer experience. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible because um, I've seen um, organizations like an Amex look at um, what traditionally other organizations call product, mm-hmm. but they view it as customer value propositions. And that really dictates your role. Um, in this organization. So if I'm responsible for a customer value proposition, then I'm really going to develop access and experiences so that it can um, justify a customer value proposition that is in keeping with the vision of the organization. And so it was really um, interesting how um, different organizations um, associate um, things, whether it's, a, is it a solution? Is it a customer value proposition or is it a product? And if, if I think if it's a product, it's, a, it's quite a narrow definition mm-hmm. of what we do for the customer because it's so much more than that in terms of sure. developing the proposition. Sure. No, it's the role that you're playing in that customer's life. And that is so much more meaningful than a product. That's important. So what's the biggest takeaway that you have from your experience in leading brands with this customer experience at the core? What's sort of the one learning you hope our listeners can take away? Yeah, um, well, you know what? I I always believe um, the buck stops with me. And in any organization that you're with, I I always believe that if you can adopt the same mentality of the buck stops with me, then if you're going to be getting a customer complaint or uh, a piece of feedback from a customer, or even a piece of feedback from your colleagues, if it's in the pursuit of being the world's most respected service brand or whatever the vision is, then it's a piece of accountability that's super important. And so I started my career in finance. Um, and even as a head of finance, um, I believe that I was in the pursuit of a, you know, a great customer experience. And whatever I did as a head of finance, that has to be in pursuit of that. Um, and sometimes like people believe that only the front line is responsible for customer experience. But that's so untrue because even in, in a function like finance, um, it's incredibly important for, for me to have felt that I can impact the customer experience in some way. And I certainly can um, in my function. And so... So yeah, I, I kind of like I guess I, I sum it up by saying like that's the DNA of an organization that's really important. And so if if we can all kind of adopt the the kind of the, the beacon of the buck kind of kind of stops with you, um, I, I believe then you can really resolve things quickly for the pursuit of customer experience. Yeah, that's a great lesson. I love it. Well, let's turn to you as a leader, as a thought leader in your industry and also in the organizations that you've led. Um, what is your most passionate opinion about being a leader today? Yeah, I um, I guess my very passionate um, opinion is that it's incredibly important to stick up and advocate for your team um, or your colleague or your peer. And, you know, if for those that don't have teams, it's 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 just really important 
to be able to do that. And, and really it's, I guess, you know, my most fulfilling times are when I can make a difference in someone's life. And it could be one person, it could be two people in your career, or it could be more than that. But if you're able to really make a difference and it's, it's probably for me, one of the most fulfilling things that has happened in my career. Um, and so I guess that's my personal belief. And uh, to be able to stare myself in, in the mirror and, and say, you know what, I have advocated for people and um, for, for, and I've, I've kind of put my personal brand on the line for them. It's really, really important to me. Yeah, I agree. It's important to me too. And I think one of the most rewarding things that I find as a leader is when, you know, the, the folks that I'm mentoring or I'm helping develop when you can give them that confidence that they might be lacking at certain points in their career or points in the week, honestly, right? We all have our ups and downs, um, but give them the confidence to take risks and to put themselves out there because it's really easy for me to say, right, go do this. You can do it. But for them to actually have that conviction and have that confidence, it's so rewarding to me when I see it play out. Um, I'm sure you've helped a lot of, of people in your career kind of find their way and find their voice. And it's got to be one of the most rewarding. Yeah, it's super rewarding. And, and I think that that's one of the things that um, has cropped up more often than not over the years in my career. People ask, how do I find my voice? Um, and especially this minority, um, you know, people like me who maybe English wasn't their first language. And for me, um, English was my second language. I took years upon years of classes to really learn English. Um, and it was not easy to find my voice. And what I would practice, one of the things that I share with people, what I practiced was I would write down in meetings, I would write down what I might want to say. And I would try to find the opportunity to say it. And in a voice that was hopefully clear and strong. And that took lots and lots of practice. And it yeah. didn't come day one nor day two. It probably came years after that. Um, and it was, it was just, you're right. It's just finding the courage to um, say something um, that I believed in. And so that's, that, took, that took a while. But it's, it's due to maybe the thanks of so many leaders that have helped me along the way. Um, people like yourself and what you're doing with your, your team. And um, to give me the confidence to be able to um, uh, just, you know, you know, speak up. It has been a big deal for me. Um, there's been so many great leaders that believed in me and gave me a chance um, in each of the organizations that I've worked at. And... Um, just eternally grateful for them and will always remember them. And so, yeah. you know, that's how leaders gain the followership they do as they, you know, move from one organization to another. I agree. And yeah, bravo to to all those people that, that did help you find your voice. And and you need to allow space for all different types of personality and skill sets and experience to you know, to, to have that opportunity to share, especially, gosh, I remembered some of the, you know, first senior leadership team meetings that I would have been in. I did exactly what you said. I would write out what I wanted to say, try to find my moment and probably sounded nervous as I was speaking up. And it's funny to think back because I obviously come a long way, but um, it's so important to, to be given that space. So that's a wonderful um, story and lesson to learn from. 
So that's you as a leader, really memorable things there and helpful. In terms of your you know, expertise in the financial industry, what's your hot take on the future of the financial industry? Like, man, there's a lot going on. Where do you see things heading? Yeah, it's so incredible. It's just, it's a global phenomenon right now. As you know, with rising interest rates, consumers are faced with um, variable rate mortgages or they're faced with, um, um, you know, how do I pay my rent is, is a common question. So I, I really, really, really think that the time is now for a customer advocate. And if you are a financial institution, um, financial education is so important because the, the just common question of how do I pay my rent, that is a big deal. So do I yeah. rent or do I buy? If I buy, how can I afford to buy? Where do I buy? And that's really important at this point in time. So the solutions that include pricing and financial education so that you can truly be the customer advocate and uh, during a time of rising interest rates is, is really incredibly important. So that's really what I see as an opportunity for many players um, in the marketplace. And it probably doesn't even stop at financial institutions. Like I, I think that that probably goes to say that the same um, need is maybe needed in retail and mm-hmm. consumer packaged goods um, in technology. Um, truly, truly to be that customer advocate and to be able to um, provide the content that's needed to consumers at this point in time is, is, is needed um, full stop. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's very meaningful across industries and that ability to truly understand your consumer so that you can meet them where they are. And certainly many industries, you know, educating as you go is really important to be that trusted advisor, right? Yeah. yeah, it's critical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's turn to the final dig. This is all about you as a consumer, as a person. So feel free to take off the professional hat if you wish for a moment. Uh, I'd love to know what's the last product or service that you bought on Impulse? Yeah, I um, so I just bought a tennis racket and um, that was last week. I've gotten back into tennis recently. And so I bought her tennis racket. It was just the frame without the, it wasn't even strong. Without the net. Oh. So it was one of those things. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I've got to get back into it. Um, and so it was, it was a local uh, small business that I bought it at, down the street and just really nice to support them. They've been in business, I think, for 40 years. And so it's nice to see small business owners really, um, get back at it and, and thrive really during the time. Oh, that's great. So tennis, you're not into the pickleball craze. What do you make of that? Oh my gosh. I'm really into pickleball as well. That was my right. first before the tennis racket. And I'm so confused when I go between the two sports. So yeah. I was just at pickleball this morning where I hit it like a tennis. I was, <laughs> I, was I hit it so hard. I was, um, uh, it felt like I was smashing the ball and that's totally not the strategy in pickleball. You have to be really skillful and you have to place the ball properly. So I am into the ten, uh, tennis and the pickleball. Oh, okay. Well. Yeah. 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 
my son, he's 12, but he almost got kind of sidelined at tennis lessons because he was essentially approaching it like a baseball bat, you know, and it was just kept flying over. We had to put him in timeout a little bit. Um, so tell me a category or a brand or maybe even a product that you could rationalize any price point for. You just have to have it in your life. So, so you, we've already said that I'm a big fan of sports and, and my favorite sport is actually basketball. I can't play it, but I can justify the price of going to a basketball game. And so I love live sports and I can, like my, my daughter's learning economics and um, she just happened to cover the Lakers in her project. And I was a pro at giving her advice on the Lakers <laughs> and the elasticity of the pricing of Lakers tickets. I said, well, oh, that's amazing. if they, you know, they're a winning team, they've got LeBron James, they're going to be fine in terms of pricing for those tickets. That's amazing. That's amazing. I too love sports. I'm a big NFL fan and we're recording this the day after the, the divisional round for playoffs. So I'm sure you're preparing for that. Is that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. My voice is kind of lacking today because of all the cheering I was doing, but yeah, a couple, a couple more games to go. Um, so brands have distinct personalities. What's a brand that you would date and perhaps what's a brand that you would marry? And it could be the same brand, but maybe not. Um, so my husband would say, because I dated and married him, I, uh, we, uh, we met when we, I was 20 years old. Um, so I think I would say the Four Seasons in terms of date and marrying. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, as you know, Four Seasons, it's actually Canadian um, originated, which is, I didn't know that. Very cool. Yeah, can you imagine? So it's, uh, it was originated, it originated in, in Canada and basically now it's a global brand. Um, the customer experience in Four Seasons is just amazing. I just really believe as, as I've been in various properties, just, you know, perusing, sometimes I just, I'll, I'll eat, I'll eat there or something like mm-hmm. that. You can't afford to stay there. And so you kind of go and kind of just experience uh, what it's like there. And so I, I really like it. it. I think they do such a good job. And I didn't realize that it wasn't um, all owned by the same um, sort of the operations of the Four Seasons is sometimes um, only separately depending upon the country I had heard. And so to make sure that that's a consistent customer experience from one property to another is a big deal. And, yeah. you know, even when you phone them on the, on the, the, uh, the call center, I feel like they're, they're really great um, down to um, the people who clean the rooms really, really good. And so every single touch point has been really good. And so, I really, I, I think that that's something that I would feel I could date and marry. Yeah. Well, it's a nice tie back to customer experience because like you mentioned, those moments that matter along that journey. So good way to wrap it up. So finally, what keeps you inspired at work and in life? Uh, leave us with some inspiration, Betsy. Oh, well, you've just inspired me personally. <laughs> so I think that to that point, what really inspires me is just meeting new people and my new people become um, just people that in my inner circle and to have that circle be wider and wider and wider through time has been such a pleasure and a privilege to be able to meet people um, that have um, a great shared vision and um, that truly care to make a difference. 
And that's really what inspires me. Um, and, and I think that that's why, you know, you and I are on this podcast together and just, you know, just talking about things in general and, and feeling uh, a shared passion for something. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Right back at you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Dig In podcast. We are so pleased that you're a new friend of, of Digs and uh, we hope to be seeing a lot more of you. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Jess. I appreciate it. I appreciate being asked. Until next time. Thanks, guys. Like what you heard? Share the inspiration or head to diginsights.com to learn more about what we do. 